0: Um, and something that doesn't happen every day or every week, thankfully. But a few weeks ago, I was um, up all night attending a final hearing in Australia. Um, As I say, most of our cases do have an international element. So that was really interesting. But luckily, it's not every week that we're staying up all night. Um, But yeah, it certainly varies, certainly week by week.
1: hello everyone and welcome to the student lawyer podcast series whether you're at school sick, form university thinking about a career in law or exploring law careers you're in the right place we are the one-stop shop for student lawyers if you'd like to join the student lawyer as a writer please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com this episode is sponsored by the university of law What really sets the University of Law apart from other universities is its belief that its students should learn in a realistic, professional and contemporary context. They focus exclusively on practice-based training and give students access to their extensive career service and jobs vacancy database as soon as they accept a place with them. Through the University of Law's pro bono programme, law students can hone their skills by working on real cases before they graduate. The University of Law offers a range of postgraduate legal training and master's degrees designed by qualified experts to help students advance at any stage of their career. Their courses are employment-focused, honing key skills in a teaching environment based on real legal practice. Part-time and online study options are also available on many of their courses to help students work and study at the same time. To find out more about the courses on offer, click the link in the description box of the podcast.
2: Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of the Student Lawyer Podcast. My name is Stephanie and I am today's host. On the show today, I'm joined by Sarah Smith, Associate in the London Market and Global Risk Team at DWF London. During the episode, Sarah talks about her career journey into law, reveals what the most common cases that she has worked on since joining the firm, and explains in detail the type of work that she carries out on a day-to-day basis. Sarah also provides advice on how trainees can excel during their training contract, so make sure you stick around for that. But before we start the show, I would just like to personally thank Sarah for not only being a guest, but for being a real inspiration, uplifting and kind person. I first met Sarah in 2003 at the secondary school that we both went to, and I know that she deserves every bit of her success and her future successes. Welcome to The Student Lawyer, Sarah. It's so great to have you here. Oh, thank you, Steph. It's so good to be here. Right, I'm going to get um, into the questions uh, because I've got a lot to ask you, so I'm just going to get uh, stuck in. Sarah, can you talk to us about your journey into uh, law and the reasons that you decided to qualify um, as a solicitor?
0: Yeah, sure. So... um, My route was quite traditional, but I'll caveat that with saying I didn't come from a family of lawyers or anything. Um, So I applied to do law at Birmingham and to put in context how little my family knew about the law university. I remember my mum saying to me, like, is Birmingham a good duty? Because I think back then, I mean, when was that 2011, 2010? I think Birmingham still had a bit of a reputation, uh, reputation as a city that, um, I don't know, it's not a, she's had this idea of Birmingham not being a very nice place to live and so yeah, she didn't even have any concept that Birmingham was a good uni and I looked at it today, you know, it's one of the top 25 law schools in the country so I obviously knew it was a good uni, my family had no idea, they kind of just, you know, let me go on my way and, and that's what I did and I enjoyed my undergrad degree. Um, I know a lot of my friends and people in my course didn't enjoy the degree and lots go off and do other things, but I was in the category of, yeah, I'm going to stay in law. um And I started applying for vacation schemes, training contracts. And I think what does help not having, I suppose, family members or family friends in law, I had to seek out support at university. And I had a really great, careers advisor and she was just fantastic and she really helped me with my applications everything that comes with it Um, so that was invaluable Um, so yeah quite traditional I did education schemes in my I think after I graduated actually my final summer and I got my training contract in 2014 and did the LPC and then the 2015 in London and what's quite interesting is I Got the offer in Birmingham. I started my train contract in Birmingham. London was just this. I, I think it's because I didn't know any lawyers. I just saw London and law firms in London as this world that was not for me. I wouldn't fit in there. I could never do that. I could never do commercial law. That's not who I am. Um, I don't belong there. So I applied for regional firms. Um, and it was only when I did my LPC in London that I moved to London and I was actually like, hang on a minute, this London's a really cool place to be. It's a cool place to live. It's not, um, it's not all these preconceptions I had about it. So from even before I started my training contract, I was ringing the grad recruitment um, manager and saying, can I move to London? And I was told no, um, which I can, can come on to talk about. But I mean, the, in terms of qualifying as a Doing the vacation scheme, I had no desire to be a barrister. I didn't want to work. I know that barristers don't work, you know, completely in isolation. But that is quite a lot of the job, and I always want to work as part of the team. When I did my vacation schemes, I thought this is where I want to be. This is how I want to practice law. I want to be in a firm. Um, and so, yeah, it was. I kind of always knew that's what I wanted to do. It was fairly straightforward, as I say. And
2: you know, I got the train contract, and and the rest is history. Well well done but I can can relate um you know I think 10 years ago at, at some schools there wasn't that information out there to say you know if you want to do law you should look at these unis I just think the information wasn't there um yeah and when when you get to university I mean training contracts is a big part of what you could be doing before you finish and and i i don't know because i've uh recently started my llb i don't know really know what it was like back then but i imagine that that information wasn't there so um so what you did putting all those measures in place to go from you know school, university, training contract. I just think that's really impressive. And you you clearly have that passion for it to, you know, f- to go through all of those stages quite seamlessly. So, so it's really inspirational. I, like, I mean, I don't, it, it doesn't feel like that to me, but
0: I suppose I just kind of followed, I, was, I think I say I didn't have, not having anyone to rely on, I knew I had to go, the only way I was going to make it was finding my own way. Um, and using as say that there are some fantastic resources at the careers all along those people are amazing and you should make use of them even if you have got the support um at home or you know you know loads of lawyers and the my career advisor at university she was she was an ex-practicing lawyer so to me that was invaluable and I one of the things I wish I um I I'd found out more at uni with organisations like aspiring solicitors because, yeah, I think still at uni, even at Birmingham, there was a real push from the big, big corporate firms, Slaughter and May, those sorts of firms, and they were coming to the uni and saying what they were doing. But that just felt so far removed from anything I thought I could do. And I didn't feel at university you were getting a broad spectrum of the firms that were out there. And then also, I suppose, what I'll talk about is how... Of reality of no one really talked about the reality of the day-to-day what is your life you know what was your day going to involve what's your life going to look like doing these very different practice areas and studying a subject on the LLB is one thing and practicing it you know is completely different um so that's and I think I say those organizations like Sparring Sisters I wish I had been aware of them to see people you know like me actually in some of these international london firms i think would have been invaluable but you know mm-hmm. hindsight's a wonderful thing and um, it's yeah. just great that, that those organizations are there now and hopefully people that need them are making the most of them
2: yeah for sure yeah it does actually um link quite well onto my next question um can you tell us about your work within the london market and global risk team um at dwf
0: yeah, absolutely. So um, we sit within the DWF has a huge insurance um division, you know, what, what what the firm is known for and what they do so well. Um but within the London Markets and Global Risk Team, we act for insurers and reinsurers on a wide range of issues, but we specialise um in claims in the London market. Um so that is really varied, it can be really specialist work. Often with an international element. So just a handful of, you know, the kind of only of the claims I've worked on, but sporting and music events that have been cancelled in the UK and across the globe, um, an explosion in a factory in the Middle East, property damage um, at a nightclub, and then of course the business interruption claims in a variety of sectors as a lot of pandemic,
2: um, which is obviously what a lot of insurance lawyers are working on at the moment. That's really interesting. Sounds really interesting stuff. So I'm just going to backtrack a little bit into your uh, career before you joined um, this team. So why did you choose to qualify into the private client practice group um, and then decide to move over into London and Global Risk? Yeah, so I
0: always... I thought I want to be a family lawyer I'm not exactly sure where that came from other than I really liked working with people and um, I was fascinated by relationships and you know people's relationships and when I was applying um so I kind of targeted firms that um had positivity. so again it was quite smooth I kind of knew the firms I wanted to target um, quite early on, I would just go to firms, go through the books, which firms do private client work, target those. Um and uh, I trained at Owen Mitchell, and I don't know um what the training contracts are like now, but when I would doing my training contract, at the point of applying for a training contract, you have to say whether you wanted to do um that you're trying to contract in the personal legal services stream or the business legal services stream. So I naturally went for personal legal services. I went to be a family lawyer. That's in the PLS side of things. So from very um early stage, I kind of did close my mind to commercial and corporate seats. I again it just goes back to that feeling that I don't, I didn't, I, I didn't really understand what they did, but um. I just felt like that was something that I wouldn't fit in with. That's not for me. Um, but I thought, I, you know, family law, that's something really interesting. I enjoyed selling it. on um, the undergraduate um, and then the LPC. Um, but as these things go, there was no family seat. So on my first day, we have got our um, seat list of seat choices. And again, I know most firms, that isn't how the training contract works. And even at Owen Mitchell in the BLS stream at the time, you would do six months, and you wouldn't even know what your next seat would be until you know. um Very much depend on business need, but with a PLS stream, from day one you knew where you know what you'd be doing. So I was just couldn't believe it on day one. I was like, "There's no family seat. How can I? How am I going to be a family lawyer?" um And I, I, I tried. You know, I, I, I spoke to Grad Recruitment. I spoke to the family partners, and I tried to get a seat in family law. It, it didn't work out. But what I ended up doing was um contentious probate, contentious trust and probate, which um has quite a lot of similar similarities with family law and, and all the reasons I thought I would like family law, I liked in contentious probate. So there was that personal element, you're advising private individuals, it was litigation. Um so as a trainee, I I really enjoyed it and, and didn't, you know, didn't want to push the family law element any further. Um it was only really... So, yeah, so that's how I ended up in, you know, private client, contentious litigation for individuals. Um, and, you know, on reflection, I wish I'd done a seat in something a bit more commercial. Would it have changed my mind at that time? I don't... I honestly don't know. Um, it may have, it may not have. I may still have qualified into to that area. But I think what's... Um, What's very different as well on your tra- when you're training as a trainee, although you get a lot of exposure to clients and you do a lot of similar work as qualified fee earners, I think the difference is you often are doing a lot of research tasks. Um I probably would that was when I was probably doing a lot more black letter law and private client when I was a trainee. And then as um, when they're qualified there was just less of that and a lot more um, responsibility looking after the clients, which of course is a really important part of that area of law. Um, And I never really had any issues with separating my life, myself from the emotion that came with that kind of work um, until lockdown. And I think for everyone, lockdown has affected them, you know, I feel fortunate actually it's turned out to be a positive for me and I know that I'm I'm very fortunate in that respect but um, yeah I think it was being when I was at home and I was receiving these emails from clients and I was dealing with their emotion literally in my living room and you know when we were completely shut down and there was no escaping it it really made me reflect on and I think as well you you kind of go through, like you're saying, you just go through all the stages and my run was pretty smooth. So I didn't really have any time to stop and think. You just go to university, you do your applications, you qualify, you just tunnel ahead. And then think like lockdown that made me stop and think, okay, what do I want for my career? Okay, I've qualified now. That was always the goal. What do I want to do for the next 20 years? Is this what I want to do for the rest of my life, the rest of my career? And I thought, I don't think it is. Um, And I think what was great from working from home, when you're in an office where everyone is having these conversations, everyone's dealing with the same clients, you're all in the same boat. When I was working from home and I was working, my partner's next to me and I'm working with friends who are in all different um, industries. And that's what made me stop and think, do I want to be doing something
1: else? And um, yeah, the answer was yes. Before we get into the second half of the episode, I'd like to take this opportunity to talk about the sponsors of today's show and the law school that I chose to study my LPC at, and that's the University of Law. The University of Law believes in training students for the real world from the moment they accept a place. Their experienced career service and award-winning pro bono clinics offer students the chance to get real-life experience from the start. They offer a range of postgraduate legal training and master's degrees designed by qualified experts to help students advance at any stage of their career. Their courses are employment focused, toning key skills in a teaching environment based on real legal practice. Part time and online study options are also available on many of their courses to help students work and study at the same time. To find out more about the courses on offer, click the link in the description box of the podcast.
2: That's a really interesting story. I think that. Just going back to what you were saying about you didn't think that uh, you would be able to have a creating commercial law. I hear that from so many people. And it's fun. like I thought that as well when I first uh, exploring my options, I was like, I make commercial law. I just didn't think that I would ever be able to live up to the standards of all of those fantastic people working in the industry. And, you know, the more you speak to people about it, the more that they are all having these kind of thoughts as well. and it's just I just find it a little bit mad really um it's it's important to remember that you can do it if you want to do it you know we're all in this together and we just need to encourage each other and um you know as long as long as you are passionate about it and um you know have that drive I I think there's nothing holding you back so you just need to kind of like throw off that mentality and just, you know, have confidence in yourself because at the end of the day, you're the only thing that's holding yourself back from doing it. So, yeah, I think it's a big thing, but I think it's so important to remember that everybody thinks like that at the beginning. Um, so if, you, you know, anybody out there has got confidence issues, you know, you're not alone, but we can build on these things together, which I think is important. Um, and yeah, what you were saying about having an interest in family law, Um, I think that's great. You know, you clearly do have an interest. It's a really interesting uh, subject in that private client um, practice area with, you know, learning about trusts and estates and wills and who gets what. Um, But, yeah, it's definitely a good idea to explore other options, even if you, you know, are really interested in private client. You know, you might be really interested in something else as well. So, um, yeah, definitely a great idea to explore. But you've got a fascinating career journey, Laura. I really find it um there, I really find it interesting. So I'm going to move on to my next question. Um, yeah. is moving practice areas a straightforward process and how common is it? Yeah, um is it straightforward?
0: Um it, it no, I would say it's not it's not straightforward in that. And it's definitely not straightforward. When I tried to do it, which was in the midst of the pandemic, I was contacting recruiters that were either on furlough, they weren't even, you know, contactable, or they'd just come back to work from furlough. And the last thing they want to hear is somebody saying, I want to have a complete change of career. I mean, it's, it's a hard sell. Um, But it does happen. And I spoke to people um, that had done it. And that, you know, gave me confidence. And I've seen a lot of people that have done it you know I throughout um my career I've seen people that have moved from contentious probate to family law which is perhaps a bit more straightforward but I've seen people go from um medical negligence to um international you know going offshore and doing trust work offshore so um it, it definitely happens um I think you've just got to be you really have to think about why you want to do it because that's what, what they're going to be asking you when you go to interview. It can't just be enough that you just fancy a change or well oh, I didn't try it on my training contract. I want to try it now. You really got to get to drill down to things you enjoy about your own role and how likely is that going to be um in in the the different practice area. But. Um, I think at junior, yeah, at junior level, it, it certainly does happen because I think, um, you know, as I was saying, it's it's only when you qualify. Often, when you when you qualify, um, and you have cases that you're responsible for, you have more responsibility, or the role does does change, and that's the role you're going to be doing for the rest of your career. You know, you're not a trainee solicitor. So. And also, actually, even a six month um, seat or a year long seat. I did a year long seat in contentious. Um, private client, but that isn't even long enough to you know see a case from start to finish. So you may not even know what happens, you know, towards the end of the case. So um yeah, I um it's not straightforward. It certainly happens. You've just got to um really really question yourself because you are going to be questioned why you want to do it. Um and I mean I was I was fortunate in that the insurance um, market was very busy um at, at the time that i was looking to move but i was also competing with new qualified solicitors um who were looking for jobs in a in a really difficult market and they you know had two years of um experience in commercial law so yeah it, it timing helps um but uh and, and it can be done you know if you're doing it for the right reasons it absolutely can be
2: done so do you think that your um your experience in private client work helped to you know maybe secure were there benefits that you could get from your experience there that has uh helped shape your career now in um in the London market and global risk team
0: yeah absolutely so one thing I certainly think is um kind of case case management skills and meeting deadlines because often with contentious product, client work a client will come to you um Either really close to a deadline, you know, it might be a limitation deadline, or actually two, three, four years after that deadline, because they have absolutely no idea they need legal advice. They have no idea about um, their potential claim, the limitation on that claim. So that was something I was used to dealing with really, really regularly. And fortunately, it's not something I have to deal with as much more because that, it was very, um, you know, it could be very stressful. Um, But obviously when deadlines do come up, and and naturally with any area of particularly contentious um, uh, private practice, there's always going to be deadlines and court deadlines or um, other deadlines. I I feel comfortable meeting deadlines. um, Also, networking, uh, that's quite um, within the insurance um, market. It's a very sociable um, industry, lots of opportunities to network, and that was very similar in the contentious um, probate world. I think any you know litigation when you're trying to win new work is always going to be networking. So that's something that I've been doing, you know, since I started my training contract. So that has definitely helped um, and, and shaped
2: my my career. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so, do you have advice for junior lawyers working in uh, private client law? Um well, what advice could you give to them to uh, maintain an understanding of a more kind of like commercial law or business legal services, um and perhaps vice versa? Yeah, I think what's um
0: important is to speak to your um you know your trainee cohort, keep in touch with people you went to university with or you know find out what is their experience in those practice areas if they're doing a completely different practice area to you. And find out what, what their day is like, if that's something that might interest you. I mean, a lot of, um, because of the work of uh, private client work, because your client may be a business owner or and they may have emplo- um, employees, there might be often always an element of property that comes into it, insolvency. So naturally you do stay, you do often work quite co- closely with colleagues in those areas. So you always do keep... Um, actually become abreast of kind of the issues in those practice areas but um i think more importantly would be to keep up to date with you know current and business affairs and there are so many ways to do that but again it's also very hard when you're trying to keep um up to date with everything that's going on in the um in the private client world and i you know I, because i've always been interested in the law and the cases and how the law develops now if i see a case and um, in contentious trust or probate i will look at the judgment i want to see what's happened and um, so, if you you know, you will always keep that interest because we used to reading about you know day in
2: day out. So, yeah, I mean, it sounds it sounds tricky concentrating on something and and working your way to become an expert, a specialist, but still reading you know widely so you can see how things interlink because you know it, it everything does. I just find it interesting how everything really crosses over. I guess. I guess it's good to kind of like keep an open mind to just, just, yeah, be constantly interested in things and, and see what uh, piques your interest because uh, things will um, overlap, which I think is um, very interesting. Absolutely. So you've kind of explained what, uh, what the London Marketing Global Risk Team does, but what does an average day um, consist of for you?
0: So you probably get this answer all the time, but every day um, is different. Um, but we have a number of cases that are in arbitration. So I have been working um, on a lot of document review for large disclosure exercises, preparing for upcoming hearings in those cases, um, drafting advice to clients, drafting correspondence to side in pre-action um, and reviewing insurance policies preparing advice and coverage which I think I really enjoy doing um, and and think that doesn't happen every day or every week thankfully but a few weeks ago I was um, up all night attending a final hearing in Australia and um, as I say most of our cases do have an international element so that was really interesting but luckily it's not every week that we're staying up all night um but yeah certainly certainly
2: varies certainly week by week um can look very different Really interesting. So. Um, I'm all, do you know what whenever anybody says like legal research and bits and pieces like that I always just really think well what does that research really look like so how how do you conduct this research because this is something that I'm not really sure what is involved uh do you have uh like a platform or a database that you use like what do you search for so is that an annoying question no with um yeah I mean
0: it's We have all of the, um, you know, the resources available to us, and we have a brilliant um, knowledge services team. Um, You know, often when you're looking for a case and you can't find it, or I had to get some cases, um, some American cases, and our knowledge team would get them straight away. Um, But the, you know, the recent is normally on a specific point of law. might not be in the textbooks. You know, you need to look at a variety of sources. Um, and it's really, I, I suppose, more our job is, well, certainly for when I'm doing work for my supervisors, is putting in that into a document that is user-friendly and really I can give a high-level summary at the top. And we've got, you know, for our own record, that
2: um, body of research that we can refer back to. Thank you for explaining that. Um, so how can uh, trainees excel in their training contract?
0: Yeah, some, I mean, when I was thinking about this answer um, and I was listening to some of the podcasts you've done previously, a word that kept coming up and a word that came to my mind was be proactive.
2: Right. And
0: I think that is really how you can excel. Um, and that can take many shapes or forms. I think be particularly be proactive in the things you enjoy doing. Um, so take networking, for example, if you're trying to build your network, um, if you get invited to an event, say yes if it's something that you have capacity to attend, but also find that not all networking has to be drinks events. Um I played on the firm's netball team and I met so many people across the firm and at other firms um that I wouldn't necessarily meet at drinks events, and we've you've got that common interest, you know, you, you're a part of a team. So if I ever had an issue that Um, was their practice area I felt like I could just pick up the phone to them and the same for um you know if the firm's got a choir or if you love singing just do the things that you enjoy I think with networking will um and some people love going out um you know networking in that more traditional sense after work drinks but find the thing you enjoy doing and be proactive um I think are the the two main things And, and with your work be proactive I think always When you're asking a question or you've got a query about a piece of work, you can go to your supervisor and say, "I think it's X. Here are my reasons why I think it is this. Can you just confirm I'm going down the right route?" Rather than saying, "What is the right route to go down?" What you know, because naturally you think about it, naturally you form your own view. Your view is valid. Be proactive and show you've thought about it. You're not just asking them to give you the answer. You just want to clarify. That you're approaching it the correct way and you need a bit of support but you're not asking them to do you know your job for you so yeah I just think be proactive and the other thing is don't take no for an answer um because your your career you are the only person that's going to determine your career many many people will shape your career um supervisors colleagues you know everyone along the way but no one is as invested in your career as you um and when I um, applied for my train contract, I applied in Birmingham, when I did my LPC, I decided I wanted to actually move to London um, and I was told by the, the graduate recruitment team that I would never make it in London, um, but I, I kept pursuing it and, and I made it known that I wanted to be in London. I will never forget I got a call from the um, graduate recruitment saying your name is coming up for the wrong reasons now. You you know, you need to stop pursuing this. And as difficult as that call was, I, I didn't take no for an answer. And then um, as it transpired, firstly, I don't think that was the case because I think um, especially more senior lawyers want to know what, you know, they are concerned about who's going to be in the team for, for the long term. And if you ultimately want to go to London or another region they're going to lose you um you're, you're going to move you know if that's ultimately what you want to do and don't be afraid to pursue the things you know you really want to do um, and as it as it transpired for me um, I made it known I really wanted to go to London I wasn't shy about that um, you know I was often told along the way it wasn't the right thing but when my team opened a you know was starting a new team building a new team in London straight away they knew that's something that I would be interested in obviously I was and I made the move and you know so uh, yeah it was I I knew that was the absolute right thing to even when people were you know even when the grad recruitment part was phoning me up and saying basically you need to you need to drop this now I didn't take no for an answer and because yeah you're the only person that's going to be control where your career um ends up and you've
2: just got to keep going yeah I I love that advice I love everything that you were saying about being proactive and networking and you know really giving it a go and you know taking your um your thoughts to your supervisor or partner or whoever and saying you know I've had a go this is what I think it is you know I just I imagine that that's what they want to see like what um how you said when you were giving your answer they're not going to want to do your job for you so I think that's really great advice that um would benefit everybody and I think it's incredible how determined you are and you know how you just kept going kept going until um you know just shaping the career that you really really want and deserve you deserve to be happy in your in your job you know as you as you've, um you've said you're going to be doing this for you know another however many years so if you want something badly enough you know you're going to work for it and not let anybody tell you that you can't do it you know I think that people will always well certain people will always kind of try and hold you back from doing stuff but you just have to stay true to yourself and and keep on going so you've got amazing advice thank you for all of that what advice would you give to your your younger self
0: um it it might sound quite cliche or but I think and it it doesn't really sound like um the person that was getting that telephone call and pushing on anyway but I think my younger younger self at doing A-levels and just starting out at university I think to be fearless and don't let fear of rejection fear that you won't make it fear that you won't fit in hold you back because those years are invaluable t- to try things, give it a go if it doesn't work out it doesn't matter there'll be something else and you'll learn from that experience and you know same with the the training contract try everything even if it's something that you think you're really not going to like I wish I'd just pushed myself a bit more and I wish I'd applied to you know a firm in london i wish i'd experienced commercial law earlier i mean obviously it's it's worked out and i'm i am how everything worked out in my career and i believe you know it was meant to be that way but i think for my younger self to just wish i'd just given given it a go a bit bit earlier and um yeah just don't let your
2: fear of rejection hold you back because you learn from rejection yeah that's amazing thank you sarah um well thank you so much for being a guest on the student lawyer you have been incredible amazing advice and thank you for everybody for tuning in thanks sarah.
1: thanks sarah This episode is sponsored by the University of Law. What really sets the University of Law apart from other universities is its belief that its students should learn in a realistic, professional and contemporary context. They focus exclusively on practice-based training and give students access to their extensive career service and jobs vacancy database as soon as they accept a place. Through the University of Law's pro bono programme, law students can hone their skills by working on real cases before they graduate. The University of Law offers a range of postgraduate legal training and master's degrees designed by qualified experts to help students advance at any stage of their career. Their courses are employment focused, honing key skills in a teaching environment based on real legal practice. Part time and online study options are also available on many of their courses to help students work and study at the same time. The University of Law will help you reach your ambitions by delivering an outstanding academic and employment focused experience honing key skills in a teaching environment based on real legal practice. As soon as you begin your studies with U Law, you'll learn how to think and act like a lawyer. Whether your aspirations are in law or other fields, their courses will balance academic rigour and practical skills so your career starts from day one. To find out more about the courses they have on offer, just click the link in the description box of the podcast.
2: To hear more of the Student Lawyers podcast, hit the subscribe button and leave us a star rating and review. If you would like to join The Student Lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com.